following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Today, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about the word comeback. We're going to talk about comeback. And uh, I believe God has some comeback moments for us in our life uh, in, in this year. And I think the next fortnight, the next 14 days, I think we ought to start zeroing in on some things that we want to see turned around in our life, turned around in our families, turned around in our businesses, turned around in our homes. I think God is into that. God wants you to have more abundant living. He really, really does. So to all of our people that are joining us by Facebook today, uh, we love you to our Tulsa church. We love you very much. And we thank God that God is growing a church there as he's growing a church right here. And we're excited about that. Let's give the Tulsa congregation a great hand today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, give a shout out to all the people that are not able to be here. We have shut-ins that are watching us by Facebook today, by online streaming. And we thank you for that so very much. God bless your hearts. Come back. There is a, there's a scripture in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5 that I, wanna, I just want to read the 27th verse in the New King James. It said, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants. Everybody say forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. All right. So that doesn't sound good. That sounds like a death nail, but we're going to talk about comeback today because God is into comebacks. Shake somebody's hand and say, I'm going to help the pastor preach, and you may be seated. You're awesome people. I told this story in the first service, and nobody laughed, so get ready to laugh. <laughs> Will Rogers was an American humorist, and he had a reputation that he could make anyone laugh. President Calvin Coolidge, on the other hand, had a reputation that he never laughed. He didn't like, he didn't like comics. He never had them. And one day the two met. And Rogers was invited to visit the White House. And as was the custom, the president's assistant brought Rogers to the Oval Office. And the assistant said, President Coolidge, this is Will Rogers. Mr. Rogers, this is President Coolidge. To which Rogers leaned forward and said, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I didn't catch your name. And the president fell out and warned him at the White House for the rest of his days. He made him laugh. William Jennings Bryant was a secretary of state in Woodrow Wilson's cabinet, and he was interviewing a man who was seeking a diplomatic post in China. Bryant warned the applicant that it was necessary to qualify as a linguist. You had to be multilinguaged. He said, can you speak the Chinese language? And the young man was equal to the occasion. I love this comeback. He looked Brian square in the eyes and replied, try me. Why don't you ask me something in Chinese and see if I can answer it? <laughs> he got the job. We all get excited when in life we witness a comeback. When a team or a person is down, seemingly defeated, overwhelmed, perhaps their face bloodied, their options gone. No way out against all odds, but they rise up and overtake the odds. And they hush the naysayers and they quiet the critics 
And they defeat the opponent in the end. I clicked an online source and typed in greatest comebacks a few years back, and I thought that I would get a few since I typed greatest. There was over 120 stories that greeted me because everyone has a story. And right now, as I talk to you, you're already thinking, I remember this and I remember that. Everybody in the house has got a comeback story. Everyone has a page to write. We all feel that when our team is down and the one we're rooting for excels and comes through, that becomes what we call the greatest. 90% of the stories were sports related that I found. Stories like the Buffalo Bills coming from 32 down in 93 to defeat the Houston Oilers. Or the Dallas Cowboys coming from 18 down to defeat the 49ers back in my favorite quarterback era, Roger Staubach in 1972. Or the Boston Red Sox coming from a 3-0 deficit to win the 2004 ALCS series against the Yankees. First time in baseball a team had accomplished this feat. The ghost of Babe Ruth was finally vanquished and Boston had exercised its demons. And then the goat curse that was on Wrigley Field and the Chicago Cubs two years ago was finally quenched and run away when the first World Series victory by the Cubs happened in 108 years. Anyone remember 12 years ago? Six minutes and 42 seconds left in a ball game. And the team that we root for was down by 12 points. And one of our best defensive backs had broke his arm on the play that put us down by 12. But then things changed. There became a comeback. And it went something like this. Is that good stuff? Y'all are some sorry fans. Absolutely sorry. I bet when you go to games, you sit there till Texas piles up 49 points. You say, oh, well, I guess they deserve a hand clap. Sports Illustrated did an article on the 10 greatest comebacks of all times. Sports Illustrated, Elvis Presley made the list. His hit TV show in 1968 revived a sagging career. Muhammad Ali was in the top ten when he returned from a seven-year exile in boxing to reclaim the world championship. And President Harry Truman made the cut by defeating Thomas Dewey in 1948. Some thought it was impossible and thought he had lost the election. Even humanity was on the list at recovering from the Black Plague of the 14th century when 25 million Europeans died. And number two on the list was Japan and Germany, devastated in World War II and becoming world economic powers. And Sports Illustrated, number one, a sports magazine. Not a Bible, not a godly book, but a sports magazine stated number one was Jesus Christ in 33 AD. When he stunned the Romans and defied the critics by his resurrection from the grave. A sports magazine said that. I would like to add two little words to that whole scenario that they wrote about. I would like to say it was the greatest comeback so far. Because Jesus Christ is coming back again. And that will be the greatest comeback ever. Hallelujah! No person here feels that they can compete with Jesus Christ. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He cleansed lepers. He was and is a cut above. 
He was born without sin, born of a virgin. His father was the almighty God, not born of man's seed, but of the spirit. He who knew no sin, though, became sin, so that we who were born in sin could be redeemed and restored. What a story. What a Savior. In the Old Testament, Job's improbable comeback, we can identify. Many of us have said, you know, I feel like Job. Held through the kitchen sink at him. Yet, he came back from the loss of family and the loss of livestock and the loss of possessions plus personal battles with sickness and mental fatigue to declare, I know my Redeemer lives. And his latter years became greater than his former years. We all can identify with Simon Peter cursing the Christ before the, cro- before the fire saying, I never knew him I'm not one of them. And yet 50 days later, coming out of the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching the first message at Pentecost. Our lives, like Peter's, run hot and cold. We denounce one day and we declare the next day. And it's hard to leave Lazarus out. I preached about him last week. A four-day comeback from corruption. And then there's John Mark, a 16-year Leave from the ministry because Paul said he wasn't good enough to be in the ministry. A journey from cast out to come back, returning when he did return better than ever. And then there's Moses coming back from 40 years of desert life to lead Israel out of bondage. And Jonah, who was in the belly of a whale for three days and nights and come running out of the belly of the whale preaching to Nineveh harder than he'd ever thought he'd preached before about destruction and Daniel who climbed out of a den of lions and the Hebrew boys who walked out of the fire comebacks all comebacks all rejoiceful all terrific all awesome however in my reading the second books of the second book of Kings chapter 5 verse 21 through 27 is a story that captivated my heart it's an unusual story it's a hidden text yet a hint of greatness and one that we all can identify with His name was Gehazi. If you're not a Bible scholar, you probably never heard the name, but his name was Gehazi. He was a servant of a man of God named Elisha. He was a man of great talent. He was chosen by the prophet to be his abled man, to be his assistant. He was a man full of potential. He was in line to become what Elisha had become after he poured water on the hands of Elijah for 10 years. He was Elijah's servant And when Elijah was taken away in a chariot of fire and wind, Elisha was promoted from servant to prophet. Please understand this. God is in promotion, not the demotion business. God wants to promote all of us. There's not anybody here that he doesn't want to bless. You made your way to the house of God today and hell said you can't be blessed. Hell is a liar. Jesus said the devil is a liar, John 8 and 44, and the truth is not in him. I'm telling you, let everyone be a liar and let God be true. He's here for your best. He wants to give you life and that more abundant today. Gehazi's name means valley vision. He could see greatness in the depths of life. He could see goodness even in depraved situations. And in the fourth division of Second Kings, it was he who told Elisha about a certain woman, a Shunammite woman, who was barren and could not have children. And when Elisha prophesied to her, by the next year at that time, she was a mother with a child. And when the child that was promised had been born, 
One day out of nowhere, that child, that miracle child suddenly died. And Gehazi was the first to the lad's body, placing the staff on the child. He showed that transitional power had already been entrusted in him because he was on his way from being servant to prophet. And then Gehazi appears again in chapter 5, and this is our text chapter. A Syrian captain named Naaman, a great man, a great warrior, but the Bible said there was a but in his life, but he was a leper. He was a leper. But one day he heard from a little girl through a messenger that there was a prophet in Samaria who would prophesy over him and he could be healed of his leprosy. And Naaman goes to Elisha. Instead of Elisha coming out of the house, he sends servants to tell him, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And when Naaman heard the word, he was angry and upset because there was better rivers where he was from. There was better rivers and better water. The Jordan was called the old dirty place. But he had to go, and, and his servant said, Sir, if he had told you to have done something great and glorious, you'd have done it. But he told you just to be obedient and go dip in the Jordan River. And when he came out of the river after seven dips, he was totally healed of leprosy. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. And he goes back to Elisha, and he offers him money, not once but twice. But Elisha turns it down. He said, I don't want your money. This miracle is not about money. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, follows Naaman and tells him that there's two sons of the prophets who have come to Elisha and need garments and need money. Naaman was so thankful for his gift of healing that he grants a gift of two talents, about $4,000, and two changes of raiment to Gehazi. But later, when Gehazi stood in front of Elisha, the prophet asked directly because he knew. He said, where have you been? And Gehazi replied, nowhere. And Elisha said, my heart went with you. You followed the chariot of Naaman. And the prophet concluded, is it time to receive money, Gehazi? Is it time to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and manservants and maidservants? No. And then he stopped. And my text that I read to you, verse 27, he said, the leprosy of Naaman will be upon you and your descendants forever. There are some people in their life that have received a forever sentence. That you will never amount to anything in your life. That you are not smart enough to amount to anything. It may have come from the mouth of a father, the mouth of a mother, the mouth of a schoolmate. It may have come from somebody that you trusted in in college. But I declare to you right now, it does not matter what men have prophesied over you. It matters what God says about you. It matters what God has for you in your life. That's where the kingdom comes into full force. And Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence white as snow, full of leprosy. Might as well mark him off. He was literally a dead man walking. That was his final act. But I'm talking about comebacks. This leprous Gehazi did not die. Glory. He did not go away. Hallelujah. And the leprosy did not kill him. But he appeared again. He showed up again in another show. Four years later. It was in a king's court. Talking to a king named Joram. Verse 4 and 5 of chapter 8. It's in your Bible. About his master Elisha. About a Shunammite woman whose son was healed. 
And while he was talking, the Shunammite woman walks in. And she wants her land and money back because Elisha had told her to get out of Israel during the time of famine that would last seven years. And she had gone to Philistia to live. And now she was back wanting her land and her property. And the king not only gave her her land and property back and her house, he restored the money that she had lost in those seven years. Here's what I want to tell you. God is not only in the receiving business. He's in the restoration business. And what I'm about to say must be received. At most, the man, Gehazi, should have died a leper. Yet here he is four years later in a king's court healed and cleansed and whole and well. In front of a king out of his element. Because lepers could not have contact with anyone in civilization, much less a king's court. They had to stay isolated. They lived in the other side of town. They had to live apart. They had to cry unclean. That was their word that they had to share everywhere they went. They wore certain garments. But here, here he is well enough to stand, to speak, to prophesy. And to see his prophecy come to pass as he speaks. That, my friend, is what I call a comeback. That's a comeback. That's a comeback. From a listless leper, a walking dead man. To a prophesying man of God. A total, total turnaround. Can I declare to you God is the sponsor and president of the Turnaround Corporation. Let me say that again. Turn your earphones up. Turn your earbuds up. God is the sponsor and the president of the Turnaround Corporation. U-turns are allowed in the kingdom of God. And the Lord told me to tell you here today, don't tell me what God can't do. Tell me what God will do in my life. And I declare to this congregation, I feel a spirit of prophecy now to my mouth. I declare to this congregation, some turnarounds are coming in the next 14 days. Some things that you've been wishing for and hoping for and dreaming for and believing for and trusting for, get ready for because God's fixing to give a turnaround, a comeback in your life and you're going to see the glory of God revealed in your future. Come on, clap your hands real big. That's, that's the word of the Lord. He's in to comebacks. He enjoys when the devastated finds the divine, when the hurting finds healing, when the broken discovers the blessing, when junk lives find joy, the put down and put out finds the prince of peace. He loves that. I had to study this, had to find answers because between chapter five when the leprosy comes and chapter eight when he's before a king, there is a story that fits in the middle of that. It's called the famine in Samaria. And it was so bad, it was so bad that they were announcing in the streets that donkey's head were being sold and dove's dung was on the market. Can you imagine a donkey's head being for sale to eat and dove's dung was on the market? And things had gotten so bad that women of the city were haggling with the king about whose baby would be eaten next. It was a bad state. Allow me to speak here. When Elisha stood up in the first verse of chapter 7, 2 Kings, he declares this, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, I love the fact that we can talk about tomorrow, that there's a better day coming. Shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel? 
and two measures of barley for a shekel. It was in the gate of Samaria that that would happen. There is nothing, folks, like faith preaching in this world. Nothing like somebody getting up and saying, thus saith the Lord. God has so connected himself with the word. After all, he was the word made flesh in John 1 and 14. And we beheld his glory as, of the, as, as, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. In Psalms 138 and 2, the Bible said, And he has magnified his word above his name. Let me say it again. He's magnified his word above his name. I've never really understood why that was in the Bible. But I think I got a corner on it. If you don't like it, come up with your own thesis. Here's what I think. The name of Jesus is a saving name. It's a healing name. It's a delivering name. But Jesus wants us to speak more than just his name when we get in trouble. He wants us to be so into the word of God. That when somebody says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, stop right there. He don't want you to say, oh God, help me right now. I need some help, God. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. He wants you to stop and say this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Somebody, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, needs to step up and start talking the word back at your problem. Woo! I might have lost some viewers right there, but I feel the Holy Ghost preaching right now. There's nothing like the Word of God. The worlds were begotten by the Word of God. He created all by the Word of God. You want to get out of your dilemma. You want to turn around, start preaching to yourself. Start talking to yourself. Start putting the Word together in your life. If you can't, if you can't quote it, get your Bible and say, I'm going to read this. Anything you read in that Bible, anything you read in that Bible, God's going to lift you because His Word has been magnified above His name. Speak to your situation. Speak to your circumstance. And when a prophetic voice rises up and declares, Thus saith the Lord. Famines have a way of leaving your life. Way out there, futures get real close. Fatalism has to put on its boots and say goodbye to you. I'll feel a word to this church this morning. There will be some of the greatest comebacks in this next fortnight, these 14 days ever in this church. People, problems, and performances may be way behind now, but they will come back. They will come back and they will win. And you will win. And it will win. Can somebody agree with me? Can I get a witness today? Come on, clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. The Lord of the city, in chapter 7, whom the Lord, who the king trusted, mocked the man of God. He mocked him. He said God would have to make windows in heaven for this to happen. And the prophet said, you shall see it, but you shall not partake of it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not just a pastor prophesying the word of God today. It's the body believing. 
the worst thing you can do is go to your lunch after you leave here today and say, I wonder what he was saying there today. Why don't you just go to your lunch and say, you know what, we're going to get a hold of what was being said today. There's a rhema coming out of my mouth right now. There's a rhema coming out of my mouth to tell you it's time for you to stand up and declare some things in your life. You've got to declare something in your life because you've got to shake some of this stuff off and say, I'm coming out of this. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by this anymore. I'm going to be somebody that God wants me to be and I'm never going back to that life again. I'm going to have a turnaround. I'm going to have a comeback in my life. It's not only me prophesying, it's the body believing. You've got to believe it for the sake of Jesus Christ. So this is the story. Here's the story that needs to be told. There were four lepers in chapter 7, outcasts. Expelled from society in this Sumerian famine. Many Jewish historians believe, and I've read this, that Gehazi was one of those four. And his three sons were the other three. And they were all leprous because the prophet had said, leprosy shall be upon you and your descendants. And the leprosy had been passed down from a father to sons. It was generational. It makes sense to me. A man cast out in King, 2 Kings 5 with leprosy. He was an outcast. But even with leprosy, even though they were outcasts, they asked a question we all need to ask ourselves on this Sunday morning. Are you ready? They said, why sit here till we die? You know what, folks? Every now and then I bring the wood here. I get the bat on the ball every now and then. Not all the time, but I got a prayer partner right here that helps me. But I, I bring the wood every now and then, and I'm declaring something to this congregation today. I'm going to declare something to you. You need to talk to yourself sometime and say, how long are we going to sit in this situation? How long are we going to sit in this family dysfunctionality? How long are we going to sit with this problem in our home? How long are we going to sit with all the things evil in our house? It's time for us to declare the blood of Jesus is in our house. The blood of Jesus has saved us from our past. And we're going to claim the name of the Lord and declare his righteousness in our home, in our life, in our present, in our past, and in our future. Hallelujah. So they said, why are we going to, are we going to sit here? And here it is. So it leaves us one alternative. Let's go fall on the enemy. And if they save us, we live. And if they kill us, we die. So they arose at twilight. And when they arrived at the camp, there was not a Syrian in, in their tent. For God had allowed the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots, a noise of great horsemen and horses. A noise of a great host. In fact, they literally thought three armies were converging on them from three different directions. And all it was was four men. Four sick men. <clears throat> Do you think God don't know how to use a sound system? <laughs> sound systems were invented a long time before we got here. Four men just walking to the camp and God said, I think I'll just amplify that a little bit. <laughs> Ain't no telling what God will do if you start walking. If you get up from where you are and just start walking a little bit, it ain't no telling what God's going to do. He's going to amplify your footsteps. He's going to amplify, and the enemy's going to say, what in the world's coming my way? It's just somebody that's tired of being sick. It's somebody that's tired of being down. It's somebody that's tired of being depressed. It's somebody that's tired of feeling this way. It's somebody, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody needs to stand up and just start walking. 
and say, I am going to have victory in my life. So they went into each tent and they found gold and silver and food and they hid it and they came back to another tent and the same thing and then they said to one another, we do not well. That had to be Gehazi. For he had been destroyed by greed of the Syrian money three years ago. And now he was getting a second chance three years later. He was not going to be beaten again by the same principle. So the four lepers took the news to the city. There's a whole group of people out there that just left some tents full of money and food. Don't worry about any donkey's head anymore and any dove's dung. Go out there and get all the food you want. And the city was spared. And eventually Samaria was slaves. Here is the message. And somewhere between the famine and the king Joram's court, Gehazi walked into a miracle. The scripture's not clear. But in chapter 7, they were lepers. In chapter 8, he was cleared and healed. Whole. Restored. Historians feel that they were healed as they went to the city. Much like Jesus told the ten lepers in the New Testament, go to the priest and show yourself. And as they went, they were healed. It's amazing what happens when you put some walk in your talk. Oh, I just felt that one now. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to show out. I'm just feeling the Holy Ghost up here if you don't mind. It's amazing when you put a little walk in your talk and say, you know what, I'm tired of just talking this. I'm gonna walk this thing. And you start walking it out and you start seeing the hand of God in your life because as you go, you will be healed. It's time to put some go in your talk and some go in your spirit. In chapter eight, he's healed and in front of the king prophesying and it came to pass that, my friend, is a comeback. I got to close. I've preached the gospel. Churchill said to some kids one day, never, 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 never give up. Never, 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 never give up. Never, 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 never give up. Said it three times and sat down. Greatest speech they said he ever delivered. Jesus said, in the Greek, I will never, 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 never leave you. I will never, 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 never forsake you. Jesus said it before Churchill said it. Somebody needs to get a hold of the words of Jesus Christ today. I feel some comebacks in this house. I feel some people who have lived deprived are ready to come back and feel the healing of Jesus. I sense some lepers prophesying, some dead men praising. Some backsliders leaping. Oh, yeah. If God can do it for a man in the Old Testament, he can outdo himself in the New Testament. I close. Randy, if you'll help me. Thank you for listening to me today. This month, 37 years ago, was not easy. And I don't like to just talk about myself. I don't like to talk about me. But but I, I need to do this today because there's a lot of people that perhaps have not read or heard my story. I lost a wife and son 37 years ago this month. 
And I was pastoring a, a beautiful church in Dallas, Texas. And it was this Sunday, it was this Sunday that I was to be back in the pulpit 37 years ago. And I walked out, walked out to the church totally ready to resign and say, can't do this anymore. Can't do it. But have you ever read Balaam's story? Balaam tried to curse the people of God and blessings came out. I bless you. I, I bless you. I bless you. And when I walked out to resign, I resigned. Because when I opened my mouth, when I, when I opened my mouth, I said, I'm going to be your pastor. I'm here. I've never declared that story in this church because I was always afraid that you thought I'd quit on anything. I'm not a quitter. I'm a comeback kid. I'm a comeback person. And by the way, I was called a kid this morning. Thank you very much. So I can use that. I also was told this morning, it was so precious. A precious young lady and her boyfriend, her husband came in today. This neat as a pen, this cute as they could be. She said, I can't wait till next Sunday. I said, honey, you got to get past this one first. She said, Ricardo's coming next Sunday. And I said, I love him too, in a different way. But what a joy. What a joy. Anybody got a comeback story? Anybody got a comeback story? Anybody? Anybody want a comeback story? <laughs> Anybody want a comeback story? Anybody want to turn around in your life? Anybody want a U-turn in your home? Anybody? Come on, he can take a leprous man and put him in a king's court. That's what God can do. And God is able to do exceeding abundantly above that we're asked, able to ask or think. Would you stand? I'm out of time and you're out of patience. And I love you. Glory. I want you to raise your hands. I just, I just feel like praying. I, I preach a little two-part series, out of sight, out of mind, and then today, come back. And it's resurrection season. Lift your hands and say with me, Dear Lord, I want to honor your resurrection. Not just what you did, but what you did for me when you did it. You showed us how to get up. You showed us how to stand tall. You showed us how to walk post-Calvary, post-situations, post-problems. You showed us how to gain victory over the cross. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to walk toward my turnaround. Amen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, dear Father, I love you today. And I honor you today. And I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to talk and speak to these people on such a beautiful subject of a man that people have thrown away as a leprous man forever. And yet God turned his life around. Thank you for hope. Thank you for faith. Thank you for believing, even in us when we don't believe in ourselves. 
Lord, we're going to have some turnarounds in our homes these next 14 days. We're going to have some blessedness in our lives these next 14 days because you are our Savior, you're our King, and you can do anything. All things are possible. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.